It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. The Texas Rangers are World Series champions. Should I be embarrassed? About what? The fact that the Texas Rangers are World Series champions? Two, a eulogy for Bob Knight with his former player and coach, Dan Dockage. Three, what would a 12-team college football playoff look like if it started today? It's the Will Kane Podcast on Fox News Podcast. What's up? And welcome to the weekend. Welcome to Friday. As always, you can download, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your audio entertainment, at Apple, Spotify, or at Fox News Podcasts. You can watch the Will Kane Podcast on Rumble or on YouTube, and follow me on X at Will Kane. We have done it. We have climbed to the top of the mountain. We won the last game of the season. After 63 years, the Texas Rangers are World Series champions. I cannot tell you. I can only hope that you have experienced at some point in your life this kind of sports joy. It's a unique kind of sports joy. It's the kind that comes after decades of pain. The Dallas Cowboys became a dynasty when I was a teenager, and they won three Super Bowls before I turned 21. I mean, those championships were largely accompanied by a great sense of expectation. And I've said to you in the past that I believe sports joy and expectation have an inverse relationship. That first one in 92 was something wonderful. But even then, I think every Cowboys fan can attest, we knew that we were good. Not sure if we knew Super Bowl, but we knew that we were very, very good. Even when the Texas Longhorns won in 2005, it was wonderful, but it wasn't as though it came as a surprise. The closest corollary I have to where I sit today is the 2011 Mavericks. The Dallas Mavericks won the NBA championship after getting robbed in 2006 and being a sad sack organization for most of my life until they drafted Dirk Nowitzki. So 2011 was the fulfillment of of what we knew of as a great guy and a great player for Dirk Nowitzki, but also the alleviation of a lot of pain. But I'm not sure that any pain has exceeded the pain that not just accompanied being the oldest franchise never to have won a World Series, but the way that it went down over the last several decades. Look, I first started rooting for the Texas Rangers in the 1980s. The old Arlington Stadium was, even then, something you knew was sad, I was talking with some of my brothers the other day about our high school football stadium back in Sherman, Texas, and we felt like it was Texas Stadium. You know, it felt iconic, sat by the highway, Highway 75, everybody playing in the end zone when you're a little kid, standing in the student section up high when you're a freshman, working your way down to while you're a senior. And when you go back as an adult, you realize it it wasn't that big. 
but not to us, not at that time. It, it felt like AT&T. But even in the moment, the old Arlington Stadium felt like you were looking at portable bleachers. At the time, it was described as a minor league stadium. But I remember seeing the Beach Boys after a Rangers game in concert at Arlington Stadium. I watched Ruben Sierra and Pete Incavilla. I watched Julio Franco and thought he was the greatest player in Major League Baseball. We lived through the 90s where we actually began to have some hope past Steve Bouchel, when we got to Juan Gonzalez and Pudge Rodriguez and Nolan Ryan and and Rafael Palmero. This is after Jose Canseco. This is Rusty Greer. And we were we were perennial outs in the playoffs to the New York Yankees on their way to a dynasty. I had friends who were Yankees fans, and all they it felt like a consolation prize that they would tell me every time he came to the plate, they were terrified of Juan Gonzalez. We always had the steroid area in Texas. But then we suffered through, you know, seasons where they always gave us hope. Oh, we signed A-Rod. Oh, we drafted Mark Teixeira. Until we arrived at the late 2000s and it began to build again with Michael Young and Ian Kinsler. And then in 2010 and 2011, incredibly, we end up in the World Series. Kenny Rogers, Kevin Brown. We were building and finally we had gotten there. And the most crushing sports loss of my lifetime, 2011, being one strike away twice from winning the World Series against the St. Louis Cardinals. Then we had the Adrian Beltre era. What a hero to the Texas Rangers. We kept making the playoffs up until 2015, 16, and then we're one of the worst teams in baseball. Lose 100 games. Lose 90 games. But you could feel it. Something was building. Multiple high-round draft picks. It looked like they could still, to this day, work out. Signing, though. Signing. Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager. The, how wonderful is Corey Seager? Signing Jacob DeGrom. But even then, this year, we didn't have any sense of expectation. No. We had surprise. It was like, wow, the Rangers are really good. Even while they've lost Jacob DeGrom. Even while they've lost Nathan Avaldi, Even while then they lost Max Scherzer. Even while they lost Adolis Garcia. Even when they lost the last game of the, se- game of the season in Seattle. And lost the AL West. And had to go on the road, incredibly, winning every game on the road through the playoffs. To find themselves one strike away last night. One strike away, and this time, a Josh Spores curveball brought us a World Series championship. Now, I recorded a video and posted it to social media last night of that final strike. And I know, I know, I do have some level of self-awareness. I know I should be embarrassed, but I'm not. Here's the thing. I can't apologize for something that is real. Maybe a 48-year-old man shouldn't care about sports like that, but I do. What am I supposed to say? I do. I care about the Texas Rangers. And what you see is real joy. Not everything in life has to be serious. I saw some people say things like, so much has happening in the world that is negative. Yes, but what's the point in solving the negative if you can't ever enjoy the positive? This is joy, and if life doesn't have joy... What's the point in the fight? This is what, this is why we want. I honestly believe that. This is why we want a better country. To be surrounded last night with my brother, my brother-in-law, my two sons, and my wife in that moment. You know, in last week's episodes of the Will Kane podcast, we talked about 
the loss of communal values, the buy-in on the United States of America. And here I go. I'm going to make this deeper than it probably needs to be. But I actually think it's true. We have these values. What brings us together? We've lost the buy-in. We have people who don't believe in the American project, its inherent values. What do we share anymore? You know, when Matthew Perry, the star of Friends, died, one of my producers said, he represents almost the end of an era. What do we share as a people? We all sat around and watched Seinfeld or Friends and shared that experience. Much more than that, think about the 1970s. I think it's the highest rated television show in history. Everyone shared the finale of MASH. Now what do we share? We're fractured up. Our attention's everywhere. We're on different apps and different follows, different social media, different streaming devices, different shows on Netflix. What do we share? Maybe, maybe the Super Bowl? And this is coming from a guy that doesn't want us to share a monoculture. I don't, I don't want us to share Taylor Swift. I like our provincialism. I like our regionalism. I like our differences. And that's where sports comes back in because I think sports is what we share. As I get older, I come to the place where I believe the foundational element, one of the biggest foundational elements in life is community. Community will give you purpose and community will give you happiness. Community will make you belong to something. And how do people build community? They build it through their church. They build it through their country club. They build it through their children's school. They build it through their work. But they also build it through sports. Regional tribalism. This, in a way, I think, is what actually is one of the redeeming factors of baseball. Baseball no longer has really a Super Bowl. The ratings won't be good for the World Series. We have our team. We have our tribe. We have our locality, our region. We have our fan base. That is our community. And I hope that sports as a platform is the thing that we can still share because that that is why a guy like me stands up so much about having sports divided into all of its culture and society's other battle cultural battle lines, race, gender, LGBTQ. Sports is for, you know, we don't have to fly a flag. We don't need to fly a flag because you know what brought us together? You know what brings us together? Our tribe, this tribe, the Texas Rangers. Now, maybe that's a back back end way of me getting an excuse for, yes, giving you a cringe-worthy video of my celebration that I can tell you in all authenticity, man, it felt joyous. World Series champion, Texas Rangers. Stick around today. We have Dan Dockich from OutKick to tell us about his life with the recently departed Bobby Knight. Plus, Chris Felica from Bear Bets will tell us what we should expect from this weekend's game through the prism of discussing a 12-team college football playoff but first story number one last night i uploaded a video of me watching the final strike of the texas rangers world series championship you could see almost within the video um the in the moment embarrassment and cringe of my wife this morning i went to breakfast with a friend and he said yeah i saw your video and uh yeah I said, oh, okay, all right. I said, uh, it's not quite what you, what, what you expected. No, I mean, yeah, that was real. 
I got texts from both the guys on the screen right now, the producers of the Will Kane podcast, Patrick Hatton and James Laverty, who both gave me very half-hearted and almost apologetic endorsements of that video. The harshest coming from young James Laverty, who has sent me videos of others that he seemingly approves, coming in the third person. So, okay, so I've embarrassed the show. I've embarrassed you, Patrick. I've embarrassed you, James. Definitely embarrassed James more than me, because if the Braves did that, I would have definitely been inebriated on the floor. How much Uh, alcohol was involved in that video? (laughs) Not zero and not too much. Okay. (laughs) At least there's some, I think. I mean, coming from this, both of you guys have had World Series in the past three years. I was very young for my only World Series, so I wouldn't fully know what it's experience like. So I think the first thing we'll say is we'll circle back once I know what that feeling is like. Maybe I'll do my own video and see what it looks like and wake up in the morning and probably not like it. But what's your problem, James? It was it was the singing. It was the singing. Creed, you could see. Can you take me higher? I I mean, I think I guess our version of that would be New York, New York, and you probably might do the same thing. But I think you see the difference of the people in the background when it first started it's like oh yeah this is a great moment this is nice like everyone's <laughs> excited and then the singing goes and you just see you see a, you see a change in facial expression and you talking about my wife i i think so, yes <laughs> <laughs> so i'm wearing sweatpants and a dress shirt that seemed to be a point of contention as well i, like that. I was yeah, i was no, actually no, i, no I defended here. that part i like that yeah. I'll, I will go home. I will wear this, keep this on, but have sweatpants on and go to the store, get dinner. I don't, I have no issue with that. Well, here's the truth. I knew as well that this was cringe. I knew, and I don't think that absolves me. Maybe that should have kept me from hitting upload, but uh, you can't redo the, the, the final pitch of the game. You can't do it twice. No. And I will tell you the, the, the most, like the craziest celebration was in the is in the top of the ninth. It was with Marcus Simeon's home run, mm-hmm. and it was the go ahead to go three nothing and five nothing. And so I we, there there was a chance when we saw it coming, where I felt comfortable enough to say, "Hey, Matt, my brother, you should play Creed when this thing is over." <laughs> so so it wasn't it wasn't without some production. For that, maybe, I should be embarrassed. Maybe you had like a, one of those little speakers that you could play it out so Creed kind of drowns out everyone else singing it. <laughs> it's the singing. Okay. So it's the singing, Patrick? I, I'm, I'm more – I don't think those things should be pre-produced. I, sh- I think they should be organic and natural. So, so you're saying I'm, it wasn't? I'm more disappointed now that you mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. If I could have a do-over, I would do it differently. But I don't get a do-over, okay? So that's the way it is. You have to – we're going to own it. I can honestly say my I'm not sure my embarrassment level exceeds the nervousness of you two right here man, making your front facing <laughs> debut on this show. You're both you've done your hair three times, James and uh, Patrick. You, uh, one of the, you, you, uh, we've seen you, this you before. Don't, you don't you don't want to talk. <laughs> this is a this is a bit much for me. I'm not, used, right. to, I'm not used to so much uh, human interaction, really. <laughs> <laughs> and James, this is your star turn. Just because you're an entitled and spoiled Yankees fan doesn't give you the right to judge of us who have won for the first time in our history. But I was I will too do, young I, to remember those. I promise I will do better on social media in the future. All right, James, Patrick, 
I'll let you come get me here on the show today. That's going to do it for my, my own accountability bowl here for the first time on the Will Kane Podcast. Here comes story number two. We'll be right back with more of the Will Kane Podcast. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Quick addendum here to story number one. In the future, if I ever allow these guys to come on the show and attack me, provide an accountability bowl, the rule is you got to take off your gloves and quit hitting me with your purse. James, if you do not come at me with everything you've got, I'm going to knock you out in the first round and you won't get a rematch bout. Okay? Here's the truth. Accountability bowls do not spare feelings. I want the stuff you gave your buddies last night when they texted you. I don't, don't, don't give me those, the, those group no. chats are dangerous. Those are dangerous group chats. I'm going to, I'm going to make Devin come in here and come give me. I know Devin will at least give me, give it to me hard. A punch or two. Yeah. That's, I need to, she will at least attack me. <laughs> so she already made fun of the singing of Creed. Um, so Noted. you'll get one more chance. Noted. Noted. All we'll right. See when that Addendum. Is. Addendum here. Some point during the Cowboys the, season? I'm sure the Cowboys will provide you with an opportunity for me to wallow. They will probably not provide me with a chance again to share my joy. I'm right, watching, that's, looking forward to the end of the college season. It's a, when, when the Longhorns you, go down. So <laughs> Okay. Soon that's the whole point. You only get these moments. I get all the other ones all the time. I only get these every <laughs> once in a while. All right. Story number two. He is the host of Don't At Me at OutKick. You can watch him every day. He's my friend. He's an excellent broadcaster. And for four years, he was a player, 12 years a coach for Bobby Knight at Indiana University. Bobby Knight left us this week, the great college basketball coach, the great leader of men. So let's talk today about the legacy of Bob Knight with Dan Dockage. Outkicks Dan Dockich here now on the Will Kane podcast. Good to see you, my friend. I'm sorry. I uh, I'm sorry to talk to you under these circumstances where I know you've lost a colleague, maybe a mentor. I think a friend. Tell me about your relationship with Bobby Knight. Uh, not great. Uh, last ten years, not great. Uh, great relationship for the for playing with him. I love playing with him. Will uh, for him. 
and I love coaching for him. Uh, but when I went to ESPN and he was involved at ESPN, he uh, we got sideways. He, he did some things that I did not appreciate with the management. He kind of wanted my job on Tuesday and Saturday Big Ten games. He was working the Big 12. But you know what? That's part of being a dude. But I love playing with the man or for the man. I love coaching for him. And uh, but my relationship at the end was not great. So complicated relationship, like so many tend to be. Um, but you've made a point, uh, Dockage, of saying, "Look, Bobby Knight, not a complicated man." No, no, he wanted to win. He was he was not a complicated man. People view him as a complicated man, but will my version of being with him every day, damn near for sixteen years, was he didn't have a lot of interests. He liked to read. He liked to hunt. He liked to fish. He liked to golf, and he liked to coach basketball, and he liked to drive players to be better basketball players. He really studied basketball, Will. We used to get together basically every day at 10 a.m. and sit in this little room where he had a phone, we had some couches, and we had a TV, VHS tapes, you know, and we would watch film, and we would study, and we would get ready for practice, or we would get ready for a game, and uh, he really wasn't. I mean, I, yeah, okay, he didn't like officials. He didn't like the media, but, you know, whatever. I don't know if that makes you really complicated. Um, but he liked things done his way. He, he he was the king here in Indiana. He made he made Indiana a national program. And, you know, uh, people criticized us, Will. But as I said in the video I put out, La Costa Nostra, man, it was our thing. If people didn't like it, they didn't like it. If people thought Coach Knight was too tough, okay, that's their thing. But our thing was we all bought into Coach Knight because we were with him every day. We knew he was funny. We knew he gave us his best shot every single day. We knew he studied, he was prepared, and he cared. And uh, we liked that. Like, I get it, man. A writer may not like that because you go to a press conference, you ask a stupid question, Knight rips you, so you're going to write a bad article on him. That's cool. But internally, it was the mafia. It was La Costa Nostra, our thing, man. And uh, if you were part of it, you bought in, you loved it, you you overachieved. If you weren't, you weren't. And that's cool, too. I love that. I think that's, you know, I've talked about it in the past, and I've talked about it on this episode here today. I mean, I, honestly, I think in the end, that's that's what sports is to me, even from the outside, even from fandom. It's just like, it's your thing. It's your small group that you draw together to be a part of a community. And it's all the, obviously all the more intense if you're inside the bubble, if you're part of the team, if you're part of the staff, if you're part of the family, as you describe. It's more intense. It's community and it's tribe. And I love that. I love that about sports. Hey, in your experience yeah. coaching what were you, 12 years with him coaching, four years playing? I'm curious, with his hard line, I think that's fair to say, with his hard line, um, and then you either bought in and you were part of the Cosa Nostra or you or you stepped, what percentage of guys bought in? I mean, like, you know, we, we do hear about a few malcontents here along the way or guys that, that chafed sure? under the environment. But but I'm curious, from a percentage perspective, as you saw it over time, did most, 80%, 90%, more like 50%? What oh, was it that bought into the Cosa Nostra? I, I, I would say this, Will. I'd say probably one out of three or one out of four transferred. I mean, my recruiting class, I came in, uh, two guys transferred, three guys stayed. And, you know, in college basketball at that time, it transfer rate was about one-third. You know, now it's a little more than that, but it's about one-third. And, Will, I'd say that uh, probably one-third. 
You know, and look, again, it's kind of weird. Like, I didn't consider, I have friends that are still friends that transferred. You know, it was was just not their thing, you know. And most times guys transferred because they didn't play or or they didn't see an avenue to getting more shots. And, hey, um, but, you know, one of the things we talk about buy-in, right? That's a big deal. We got to buy in. I never talked about that in my 16 years at Indiana. Like, we never talked. Well, you got to buy in. Honest to God, Will, it was like you came to Indiana. There was no, there was no, golly gee, we got, I don't like this coach, so I won't play for him. In fact, when Tom Crean was a coach, I was, I was broadcasting a game and he had me speak to the team. And I, I pointed at all the banners that I was a part of. And I was there 16 years. I don't know how many Big Tens we won, Final Four, uh, National Champion, all that stuff. And I said, I got to tell you, fellas, you guys are all worried about we got we to gotta have the coach like us or we we, we only going to play for the coach. That was never an issue. Why would you worry about playing for a coach or liking a coach? Why would you care? You're here because you got recruited and you thought this was the best spot. Now, just shut up and do what everybody does and you'll put banners up. I, we never I, – I just thought of this. Actually, I've done a lot of interviews today, Will. But I, I haven't thought of it. We never, ever one time it's in my 16 years, four as a player, 12 on the staff, worried about players buying in or not buying in. It was whether they were going to play well enough, whether they were happy maybe with their role, but never buying in. Now, that's kind of interesting to me now that I hmm. think about it. Why do you think you never had to talk about it? Because it was implied if you came to Indiana? Yeah. Yeah. If you went, Look, I think in those days – I think if you went to North Carolina, it was automatic. If you went to Kentucky, it was automatic. If you went to Indiana, it was automatic. Maybe a little bit before that, UCLA with John Wood, it was automatic. I think that those teams were uh, very much – Duke probably was in the middle. When I was first at Indiana, they were – you know, they, they got Johnny Dawkins and Billis and all these guys and were developing it. But I think at those major programs at that time, well, I just think it was implied. Now, you know, as players have more in power and maybe play, maybe that's good. I don't know. Players have more options. Maybe you've got to work on buy-in. But, you know, when I went there in 1981, man, a hey, Coach Knight could have told me, go hold up the liquor store down the street with a sawed-off shotgun and don't wear a mask. And I'd have held up the liquor store down the street with a sawed-off shotgun. And not it's a, a cult. That's a cult, man. That's not a team. That's yeah. a cult. <laughs> uh, yeah, I will. I, I told people, the stories you see about the craziness of grabbing Reed or headbutt, they're true. They're, they're true. I mean, look, I went into the locker room. I, I screamed at Coach Knight when he grabbed Neil Reed. I mean, I MF'd him. I was on the staff because I was a player, and I always said, man, don't touch a player. Well, I went in the locker room, and this is going to sound crazy to you. But nobody had a problem with it, even Reed. And I remember thinking, man, we're a crazy cult, like you just said, man. We're just huh. like Sean Wilkerson. There's a thing going, Coach Knight headbutted him, and I got Sean in the room. I said, well, you know, he goes, Coach, Coach. He goes, look, you know Coach Knight headbutted me. I know Coach Knight headbutted me, and it's cool, man. I go, okay, huh. we're good? Yeah, we're good. So, you know, it's, hey, it's crazy. You- it was ours, brother. You know, Dockic, um, you say he's not complicated, and I've seen your videos that you've put out in the last day or so as tributes to, to Bobby Knight. Here's where I would have thought he's complicated from the outside, Two, twofold. Um, number one, 
as a member of the media, he may have gone into an interview with me already, having had his mind made up. But but I uh, I feel like I can't get a sense. I never met the man, by the way. I, I feel like I can't get a sense watching all of his old stuff. What sets him off? Like I can never predict when he'll be set off. He is a grenade with a <laughs> with an inconsistent timer, and and because of that, I feel like he's complicated. Oh uh, well, well, it wasn't that complicated. What would set him off? Losing set him off for the, until the next win. Like mm. one of our proudest moments at Indiana was when I was a player. Nobody was ever going to lose the game before Christmas because you you just assumed you weren't going to have a Christmas, right? You weren't going to get to go home. Um, losing would set him off. I, I'll give you a story, Will. We're, he and I used to play golf about six thirty, seven o'clock every you know, not every morning, but a lot of mornings. When he was in town, we would play golf at the IU golf course. And this is right when these drivers were coming out, you know, bigger drivers, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he had one and he was showing it to me. And he hit one, it was wooded par five was the first hole, and he hit two of them right into the right woods. He hit one left, he really hooked another one left, four in a row, one right, one left. He looked at me. He broke the driver in half, threw it on the ground, stormed up the hill back to the clubhouse. I mean, that's not complicated. That's just pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> you know, he, he, well, he would do this I, and to, and you, I, I'll, about a press conference. He would have a plan of something, and it would be like, all right, if this guy asks me a question, I'm going to go off. On, on on this. He wrote something about us a month ago, and I'm going to go off on that. That might be complicated. I don't know. Maybe my sense of normal with him was actually complicated for normal human beings, right? Maybe I'm so warped. But he well, really, Saban, he, he, I feel he, like that's Saban as well. Like they say, I think it's not complicated. It's, um, it's calculated, calculated in a way. Yes. Yeah, he, and that's he, look, look, Saban look, and, well, and Knight. Yeah, he. One of the things that I did this as a coach, and I learned from him is when you do a press conference, it's your opportunity. You know, there wasn't Twitter, there wasn't platforms, there wasn't podcasts. You know, he had a show, but it was different. But one of the things that he would do, and I did, was get things across to my players in my press conferences. So I'll never forget. This is like. The year we won the national championship, I think, Alford, who was all-time leading scorer at Indiana, maybe he breaks the Big Ten scoring record or the, or the uh, Indiana scoring record, and we beat Northwestern at Northwestern. Northwestern was no good, and we didn't play good. And night, it's a great video if you ever want to see it and imagine what would happen now. He goes off on Alford. Now, this is a, the guy just broke. Some record, I think it was the big the Indiana scoring record or something, right? And he's going off on him about he don't play any defense. He didn't, you know. So he was very calculated because he wanted us ready for the next game immediately because mm. the next game was probably somebody really good. So I would say, as opposed to complicated, I would say he was very, very calculated in most of the stuff that he did. I was sitting next to him when he threw the chair, Will. That wasn't calculated. That was <laughs> it's right. He didn't, he didn't wear a sport coat that day. It was the first day he ever didn't wear a sport coat. And we're running onto the court, and my my roommate Uve Blop 
He's a big seven footer. He's like, hey, Danny, coach going to get thrown out today because he's not wearing a sport coat and he wants to get out of here. So he, he threw a chair, which, which Will, we had seen him do in practice. Randy Whitman and I counted one time. He, he threw 52 of these plastic chairs in practice one day. So, again, this is how crazy we were. To us, it wasn't a big deal. And to the rest of the world, him throwing a chair was crazy. I remember they asked me in the press conference, what would you think? I go, I don't know. I've seen him throw a million chairs. I mean, I don't know. You know, so. But that was in the but 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 even though he didn't wear a sport coat, it was it was um, spontaneous. That wasn't calculated that day. Yeah, no, no, it wasn't. It, it, I forgot about this. It was a it was like a seventy degree day in February, and it was hot as hell in Assembly Hall. So I asked him later because I told him that I said, Coach, I knew you or Uve knew you were going to get thrown out. He goes, What? I go, You didn't wear a sport coat. He goes, Dan, it was a thousand degrees outside. It was a thousand <laughs> degrees in Assembly Hall. I'm like, yeah, you know, I didn't think about that. But uh no, I don't think that was calculated. So, Dan, I mean, you spent you've spent sixteen years with the man, and as you said, your relationship had had a lot of different forms, uh, player, you know, coach, and then even even contentious. What would you say? I'm gonna ask you two questions, and you've done a lot of interviews about about him so you probably already heard these kind of questions so first i would ask you this like what would you say to somebody like me who never met knight who only ever saw you know highlights and lowlights quite honestly of knight and saw the most public parts of his life what would be the most surprising thing for me to know about him that you got to know with so much you know exposure to bob knight uh he's hilarious absolutely drop dead so freaking funny. Um, and people don't see that. Same thing with Gene Cady. It's just hilarious. Like, when he wanted to be. Now, that wasn't all the time. But, you know, and he could take it. Like, if you gave him a jab back, he could take oh. it. Now, again, not if you lost. You know, nobody said nothing. But um, he was a funny dude. I mean, a funny, funny, funny man that could take being cracked on. And people think that that wasn't the way it was. I'll tell you something else, Will. And this, I, I learned this. Um, everybody wants to be led. You know, and he was a leader. But I remember telling him, and and I, I don't say this right because it sounds like that I was too involved, but I, I remember telling him when I left in 97 to go to Bowling Green, I said, Coach, you better replace me with somebody smarter than me, a better recruiter than me, but you better replace me with somebody that's going to do what I did with you, and that's tell you when you screwed up. And he looked at me, and it's not like I told him every time, but when he would do something against a player, I would say, Coach, you know, or he would, you know, he would think he, he didn't like the AD, so he would be an ass to the AD, and I'd say, Coach, man, it was my line to him all the time. You know, that AD's got an ego too, man. And the president's got an ego, too, because I really believe that it, 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 everybody needs somebody in their life. And he did this. He did this to me like he was the greatest at telling me when I was being an idiot or even in personal stuff. But you, you, you need somebody that you that tells you when you're sure. doing wrong. And, and and I remember telling him, I said, Coach, you're going to get fired in the next five years if you don't get that done. And he got fired two two three years later because he didn't and he did you know 
Will, you know this. You, you're a star. Like, you're an international superstar, but you got a boss. And if you blank that boss off, man, it ain't going to work out so well for you or anybody around you. No. So don't. Yeah, that's exactly that's that's all of that's true, including my international superstardom. Um, the uh, the yeah. So the, here's the last question for you then. So what 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 did you learn? Like all of that, you know, he is considered uh, he is considered, I think, unassailably a great leader, uh, one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time. So so what did you learn? Well, take the basketball out of it because. When I came out of high school, we went to the state finals in a, in a one-class system in Indiana, and we didn't prepare, okay? So I, the basketball, what I learned about motion offense, what I learned about defense, preparation. But I will tell you what I, what I learned and what I talked to. When people ask me, I learned two things. Well, first thing, and these are in no particular order, I, I learned to be fair. I learned to be fair to people. I learned to uh, – because he was very fair. Like, he was very, very fair as a coach, and that's what I loved playing for him. Like, I tell the story all the time. When I was a freshman, uh, well, we played at Kentucky, and we're getting crushed. It's at Rupp Arena, and I'm the last guy on the bench. Like, everybody's getting in but me. Finally, he puts me in with about six minutes to go, and I really don't do anything. I don't even know if I scored. But I started handling the ball, made a couple steals. We cut the lead from 20 to 6, you know. And I went from not playing to starting basically half the games the rest of the year. He wasn't a guy that puts you in a position of, I'm only coaching eight guys. John Wooden did that. A lot of really successful coaches did that, Will. But but he, he you knew, just keep working in practice. And this is part of it. If you work hard, you're going to get an opportunity. And I've always had an affinity for that, whether it's in business or whether it's in basketball. For that, the other thing I learned, and again, I'm going back, I, I did not know about this in high school. I did not know about this until I came to Indiana. Preparation. You know, well, when I was in high school, I think I said, my high school coach, we played in the state final. My high school coach didn't even swap films. He didn't care. He's like, yeah, we're not worried about what others do. I didn't know what a walkthrough was. I didn't know what a scout team was. I had no idea. And I learned that if you're going to do something and you're going to do it well, Basically, it's determined before you even do it by how hard you prepare. And your job, you've got to prepare. My job, I've got to prepare, whether it's coaching, whether it's business, whether it's broadcasting. I don't care. You don't show up and broadcast the Indiana-Purdue game two minutes before the game and say, hey, all right, let's go. You've got to prepare. You've got to watch film. you got to – and that is the thing I really took, Will. I, 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 I swear to God, one of the things – I may be a good guy, I may be a bad guy, I don't, whatever, but I'm a prepared guy when I'm asked to do something, and that is really, really, the basketball stuff, what I learned was off the charts. Like, he and I would watch basketball games, and to this day, Will, I don't even watch it with the sound up. People ask me who my favorite announcers are, I don't don't watch it with the sound up, because that's how he and I would watch games. We would click off the film, the game would be on, the sound wouldn't be on in the film, and so, but the basketball that I learned, but the, the the preparation and to be fair can be mean. You might be mean to somebody. You might go crazy on somebody, but then you got to come back and you got to be fair. And those are two just things not that just fair. Was me. he positive as well, Dockich? Would he put his arm around you and say good job? Would he say yeah. he's proud of you? He would give you the positive, yeah. not just the harsh criticism. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I tell people all the time. I get it. You know, somebody forty years old or younger, all they see is him. 
you know, throwing a chair or talking about that clip that it was going around last night about my critics can kiss my ass and all, you know, that, you know, but on a daily basis, well, on a daily basis, every day being there for 16 years, the positives outweighed the negatives that he said 10, 15, 20 to one. But oh, wow. as, yeah. a, as a player, Will, and I used to do this with my players. All right, I want you to pay attention how many times I say something negative as opposed to how many times I say something positive. What do people listen to? They listen to the negative. What do they hold on to? They hold on to the negative. Dockage, what do you and I do? We scroll through our mentions till we find the negative. I, I'm guilty of that. I'll scroll past 10 compliments to the one negative and then let that bang around in my ears for a minute. So you're, absolu- you're absolutely right. We've, we dwell on negative. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, we never really, with Coach Knight, never had parental problems. Like, you know, some guys got parent problems. We didn't have any of that. And I remember one time we did. Well, you're always negative, my son. And when you said a word like negative, now that would trigger the man. Negative, always. So you're, you know, and he said, okay, I'm going to have a manager at the next practice. I remember he did this. Write down, and it's not going to be your son. Because every time I say a positive thing, every time I say a negative thing, and I'm not going to tell the manager what day to do it. So he did that one day, and I don't know, whatever. The manager probably embellished it because he was scared to death, right? <laughs> but, you know, he came back, and it was like 100 positive, let's just say for sake of argument, and 10 negative. So we do. We dwell on those things. And, yeah. you know, here's the other thing, and this is something I swear to God we, we did have to deal with. Um, and this was an issue. Players would say, well, you know, you took the joy out of the game for me. You know, I, I was used to getting 20 shots in high school, and I only get five or six. Well, you know, Coach Knight always said, this ain't a democracy, man. I don't give a damn how many shots. Make them. If you work to get them, fine. But we're here to win. I'm not. We're not here to – and it, it was – well, and this is my frustration with Indiana now. Indiana's become irrelevant because the, the, the idea of sacrifice – like, Indiana had a player this past year named Miller Cop. Miller Cop, for the NCAA tournament, he's a big TikTok Instagram guy. For the NCAA tournament, wants to put a headband on. And, you know, that's a little thing, right? But I must have had 20 former players. You got to rip this guy. What the hell is he putting a headband on for the first time in an NCAA tournament for his brand, blah, blah, blah. Dudes were pissed because that's not who we were or not who we should be. Um, and I hope that the players at Indiana now are seeing all these testimonies and people saying, well, you know, Bob Knight and Indiana had a special niche because they were tough. They were aggressive. They were physical. Knight crushed these kids and they kept balling. I hope at least Indiana players see some of this and say, you know what? Screw TikTok videos. Let's get let's let's sacrifice and let's win because that's what night was really all about. Sacrifice, identity, and having your thing—pretty good legacy for Bob Knight, not man, bad. and for you. It's not your legacy yet, Doc. It's just much more to build. You can check him out at Don't <laughs> At Me on Outkick. Uh, always appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, Dan. You're my friend and my buddy. Thanks, Will. Thank you. See you, buddy. There you go. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dan Dockage. Again, check him out at Don't At Me at the Outkick Network. We'll be right back with more of the Will Cain Podcast.
Story number three. What would a college football playoff look like today? We now have the college football playoff rankings. We have a top 12. So we know what it would look like to have a 12-team playoff. Of course, we're a year and a half away. But let's use that format, a college football playoff, to look at this weekend's game, Texas, Kansas State, and many others, to decide who would be a worthy playoff tournament. Here is the host of Bear Bets at the Fox Sports Podcast Network, Chris Felica. Chris Felica of Bear Bets. What's up, man? Glad to have you back on the show again this week. So, something fun. We've got the first college football playoff rankings, which gives us the framework to project what it would be like one year from now with a 12-team college football playoff. Let's go through those matchups, but we'll use that as a way to discuss the big games this weekend in college football. Uh, I'm going to lay out the 12-team playoff with this. First of all, the top four conference champions get a bye. That would be, according to the rankings right now, Ohio State, Georgia, Florida State, and Washington. So they're exempted from the first round. So here's where we would go, Bear. We'd start with the Big 12 champion, Texas Longhorns, who would be a seventh seed against Ole Miss. With that, I would ask you, does Texas... Have I'm really pessimistic, Bear, against Kansas State. I don't feel good. I've got Malik Murphy. Kansas State's hot. So this year, while the matchup would be Ole Miss in the first round of the playoffs, I'm nervous that Texas isn't going to make the Big 12 championship game because they can't get past Kansas State. I don't think your your concerns are warranted, Will. If you look at this Kansas State team, the last couple of weeks they, they've gone since that loss uh, to to Oklahoma State a couple weeks back, they've kind of went to this dual quarterback situation with, with, with Avery Johnson and, and Will Howard, and it's worked really, really well. Uh, Johnson more the runner, and and Howard obviously the passer. So they've kind of really complemented each other really well. And Kansas State has got a very good physical offensive line, so we'll see how they match up on the road here uh, against the Longhorns and, and that really good defensive front, but K-State has taken a lot of money. Uh, this number is a lot shorter than people uh, would have expected down near four, four and a half, five points or so, and this has not been a situation. We're getting company here. Hello, Axel. How are you? Just walk right in front of me. <laughs> it's Cat oh, in the screen. Exactly. Cat um, walking across the show. Perfect. Um, he's just looking for attention. But if you look, and you know this as a Texas fan, they've been favored against ranked teams. They have struggled. They've lost yeah. 11 of the last 17 games against ranked opponents that they've been favored in. They've lost outright. So, like, this is a big hurdle game for, for Sark and this team because the, the, the path is there. I mean, Oklahoma lost last week. You kind of felt that Texas was better than Oklahoma even coming out of that game. If they would have rematched in the Big 12 title game, uh, you would have liked them. But their offense has been so limited, uh, like 40 or 50% of their passes last week were at or behind the right. line. Of so let's see if they let Malik, Malik, Malik Murphy throw it, air it out here a little bit and uh, and show everybody that arm strength that everybody's kind of has been uh, – they're going to need to because one the one thing Texas has is they have Jonathan Brooks and I think Kansas State's defensive line is kind of small so there should be a recipe for success unless they load the box in which case you got to have Malik Murphy throw it down the field. All right, you you brought him up. So if the playoffs started today, 12 team again, your 8-9 matchup would be really interesting. It would be Oklahoma against Alabama. Um now Oklahoma as you pointed out has a big game this weekend as well. They have Oklahoma State. And now all of a sudden you don't feel as confident about Oklahoma. 
um, having lost to Kansas, as you point out. And Alabama's got LSU this weekend. So both sides of that matchup um, have tough games in the real world this weekend. They, they do. I, I think both of these teams kind of are better sounding than actually their statistics might be leading on. If you look at Oklahoma in terms of like yards per yard per play differential against power five teams, like they're down there, like behind Kansas and some of the other Big 12 teams. Like their record is better than their statistics kind of lead them on to be. Um, I think we saw that last week. They really struggled uh, at times, struggling that Kansas offense last week, committed some turnovers. And Every year, it seems like Oklahoma State just continue. Mike Gundy just continues to make chicken salad out of you know what. Like, oh, he loses this guy. Oh, they're going to be down this year. Oh, they lose that guy. Oh, there's no chance they can 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 win eight or nine games. And here they are again. You would have thought after that South Alabama loss and losing to Iowa State, like playing three quarterbacks, season kind of going downhill. No, they ripped mm-hmm. off four straight wins. Three is an underdog, and now I get a, a strange feeling that. The Oklahoma kind of season's a little bit at a crossroads here, and maybe uh, the quick start might have been a little bit of fool's gold. Would not surprise me at all with the way Oklahoma State is playing right now. Final scheduled Bedlam game at home. I think this game means a lot more to Oklahoma State from that standpoint uh, than it does OU. Clearly, OU wants to get to the Big 12 title game, but it would not surprise me at all to see Oklahoma State uh, pull the outright upset, and Alabama as well. You have to go back to 2010 to find the last time Alabama was this short of a home favorite. Remember that Auburn team with Cam and that, that second half comeback that wound up winning the national title? Tied only a three-point favorite here, and I think they are, we saw how Texas and Ewers and their wide receivers had a lot of success against Alabama's secondary. What, what's neighbors and Jaden Daniels and those guys going to do uh, to this mm-hmm. Alabama secondary? This is a very low number. And usually I would err on the side of in Nick Saban and Alabama at home we trust, but only favored by a field goal of Bryant Denny. That has me eerily worried that that number is a little too short. And it's almost like the, the, the odds makers are trying to attract money on Alabama because I think they feel that LSU might be the right side here. And, and I don't disagree. So in our, I know it's awkward. We're, we're running through hypothetical matchups of a 12-team playoff while we're analyzing real matchups this weekend in college football. We're going to skip the eight versus or the six versus eleven, which is Oregon versus Penn State. And I'm going to go straight to the five versus twelve. Love Oregon and, in that matchup. Lay, lay the points with the Ducks there. Okay, is uh, is Michigan versus Tulane? That would be your five twelve. And the only reason I want to talk about that is I started out bare pretty okay everybody steals signs in college football this michigan story is getting juicier and more more spy story ridiculous as we go if it's true and i don't think if we know whether or not it's true the michigan guy on the central michigan sidelines in disguise wearing central michigan gear but here's what i found fascinating bear a poll i believe i think it was 50 college football coaches by the athletic the poll and those coaches overwhelmingly were like, this is a big deal and Michigan should be punished severely. Which was surprising to me because it counter, it contradicts the idea everybody's doing this. You and I are simpatico on this. When it first came out and like we really didn't know all the details, I was the same way. Yeah, it, it, sign stealing goes on. That's like someone's job. You, I mean, I remember playing in baseball. Like It was someone's job to try and sit there and interpret the signs and write it down and, and, and figure things out. And I'm like, yeah, as long as if that's what's going on there, they're, they have an observer and they're writing things down and they're looking at the, the, the big signs. Of, but like, as long as they're not like recording and doing things like that, that's crossing the line. And then it comes out. 
out that's apparently what they're doing. But you referenced that article in The Athletic that um, – that, that I think it was Bruce, Bruce Feldman and Max Olson, I think, at The Athletic uh, wrote. And I read that this morning, and that's when I really started to kind of Yeah, go, me too. I don't, I don't want to go all the way to the other extreme. Like at first I was like, ah, oh, it's nothing. Now it's like death penalty forced them to vacate all wings. But it's apparent that it's a big deal. And I think the, the biggest thing in there that, that I took out of there was just – the, you you bring up where Michigan was as a program after 2020 and what their record was the previous couple of years and then what they've done since then, which kind of coincides with how long the scheme has kind of been going on. It's clear it matters. Now, the I don't want to say fortunate or unfortunate, but the reality is nothing's going to happen this year from the NCAA or the Big Ten. And, and I just hate that whatever justice or penalties or whatever is going to come down the road will happen next year or the year after when these players yeah, will end up vacating have, something. If Michigan we'll wins, we'll have to vacate well, something. Well, I know it's harsh to do, but shouldn't whatever penalty or punishment have, shouldn't that come now to the, to the, to the people that are actually doing it? Yeah, to- I totally agree. But I'm a big believer in due process. So you do have to go through your investigation and find out if it's actually happening. So, that hurts in the real time. I always feel that way about players. And I'm real conflicted, Bear, on the whole. Like, I saw an interview the other day with uh, Charles Barkley pressing Adam Silver in the NBA. Like, what are you going to do about domestic violence? Well, the hard thing about doing something about domestic violence isn't what do you do with somebody who's convicted. There's nobody out there defending, you know, women, women beaters. The hard thing to do is figure out what you do when somebody's alleged to have done something. That's the whole point. Like, do you punish people based upon unproven allegations? Same thing with Michigan. And I think you're right. You got to punish the people doing it, but you also have to prove that they did it. And that takes time. Yeah, it does. And that's, it's weird because it seemed like this whole thing has kind of been fast track but 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 again we're not going the, the way the nc the ncaa wheels of justice crank i mean you're not going to get a resolution for a while and yeah. it would seem like the only recourse would be if you're looking for some type of immediate resolution or immediate penalty would be the big 10 stepping in and saying oh no no big michigan now is ineligible for the the big 10 title and the playoff and they're not going to do that with a, with a national title contender, a team that's what, number two or number three in the country right now and a chance to win three straight uh, Big Ten titles and get to the playoff for three straight years. There's no way that, that they're, they're going to deem Michigan ineligible to play in the postseason. So the whole situation just really sucks, for the lack of a better word. And, uh, it, it, just, it leaves you feeling kind of hollow because you, you, there was a good a part of me that was happy to see Michigan and Jim Harbaugh finally get over the hump and you beat Ohio State and you get to the playoff and it it was a great story, Uh, staying in school and all the things. And now this, it's like any good will that you feel about it, it's like, really? I just hate when that happens in this sport. So in in the hypothetical 12-team playoff, your top four seeds I mentioned would be Ohio State, Georgia, Florida State, and Washington. Again, if if the season ended today and we had the twelve team playoff, so on that one, um, what I want to ask you is, you know, of course it's going to change between now and one year from now, and of course it's going to change between now and the end of this season. We're we're not going to end up, and this applies not just hypothetically because this year we'll have our four team playoff. Do you think, by the way? I mean, I'm pretty certain it won't be those four teams. Do you think um, how much turnover? I give you those four teams. How many of them do you feel safe by the end of the year will be in the in the college football playoff? Two at most. Uh, Two. I would, 
I would be surprised if Ohio State went to Ann Arbor and won uh, based on that offensive line and just kind of a feeling of lack of trust that they have in Colin McCord, a quarterback. And I think Oregon is the best team in the Pac-12. I think Oregon would win a rematch with Washington if they do play in the Pac-12 title game. And that's not a given uh, with how poor we've seen Washington's defense play the last couple of weeks. USC has a very good chance to put up a big number on them. Now we'll see if SC's defense can stop UW, but uh, UW still has an Oregon State game to play, uh, a Washington State game left to play. Like it's not a lock that UW escapes the end of the regular season here with uh, with fewer than two losses and gets to Vegas for that Pac-12. So title. I take it, I take it your two that would stay. Then that's Georgia and Florida State. Yes. That you see a path for them to get yeah. through. Yeah, Florida State has the easiest road of any of these teams to get to the playoff uh, with how weak the ACC is. And then obviously they have the rivalry game with Florida uh, on the road, which could be interesting. But I think I think we saw last week when Georgia decides to play and they're motivated and focused and feel a little threatened, Georgia's still the best team. So uh, I, I think Georgia would beat Alabama in the SEC championship game if Alabama survives a game this week against LSU. So I'm just doing my math. In order for my Texas Longhorns to get back into the college football playoff, they obviously have to win out and win yeah. the Big 12. I also I need Oregon and Washington and Washington State to all beat each other up. And I need Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State to beat each other up with more losses. Because I've got to beat out Michigan and Oregon as the replacements for these two you're pushing out of the playoff. It's, it's, gonna, it's gonna be interesting because we, we we people have talked about all year about the Pac-12 is the best league and like I don't know how you leave a uh, I don't know how you leave the Pac-12 champion of the conference that allegedly is the best team out but then again you have Texas as a Big 12 champion with the with the win at Alabama and you, maybe you beat Oklahoma again in the Big 12 title game like it's gonna be it's some you and I have been following this long enough you know something crazy along the way yeah is going to happen. But wow, there, there could be a very good one loss team uh, left out this year. And that would kind of, uh, it would be unfortunate, but at the same time, it would kind of give people who have been arguing for a, uh, an expanded playoff, a little bit more rope uh, to, uh, to hang their argument upon this in, in the coming years. All right. So before, you and I are recording this before we know the outcome, but I believe your prediction was Texas Rangers over Arizona Diamondbacks. I think that was your prediction. I can't remember. Oh, no, no. You took the no. Diamondbacks? You took Arizona? I, I took the Diamondbacks. Yeah. I thought the, uh, I thought the Cinderella story would continue. And, uh, Boy, the, the 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 Rangers have just done everything right. It's a, it's amazing how uh, on in, in Game Four there, twice five five run rallies with two outs, uh, yep. get, getting great pitching out of the out of the bullpen, and even in uh in Game Three when 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 Chapman came in and, and got the big outs, uh, getting that double play ball on a on a, on a great play there by Seager, like. Uh, it's not me. over yet. At the it's time we're recording this, Bear, it's right. not over yet. It, it may is. be by the time this is uploaded that I'm celebrating a World Series championship, I but I don't. I will not celebrate that. And I've learned. I lived through 2011. I will I not celebrate twice. until the final strike. Yeah, twice. Twice, twice one strike. <laughs> it, 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 that was that. I mean, I know it wasn't ultimately the, the way you wanted the the, the series <laughs> game to end, but that was one of the best baseball games uh, I, I've ever seen. So hopefully the. Uh, Hopefully when we talk next week, the Rangers will be celebrating a, uh, a World Series title and Bruce Bochy can get uh, all the credit that he deserves for uh, winning another World Series title, being, being the great yeah, man. At that point, we'll rank, him, we'll rank him on best managers of all time. All right, Bear Bets, man. Check it out at Fox Sports Podcast. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Will. There you go. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris Flika. Remember, check out Bear Bets at the Fox Sports Podcast Network. All right, that's going to do it for me today. I'm still going to bask in the glow 
of the World Series champion, Texas Rangers. I'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.